The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning to all of you, my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is Good Morning New York. I'm your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you as usual from Blastoff Productions, In New York City, we have a special show today. You know, we talk about the business of real estate, and we have been doing that for almost two years now. But today we have a buyer and a seller, one person, uh, here to talk with me for the first segment about what this transactional process of real estate is all about. You know, buyers and sellers aren't the only ones who should be asking questions during the buyer and seller interview. There are several strategies designed to help clients find the right agent, but it is also as important for agents to be asking buyers and sellers what they want and where and why. After answering all of the buyers and sellers' queries, now it's your turn as an agent. You have the right to interview these people as well. Cement your expertise and your relationship with the clients by asking important questions. So we're going to talk to Karen Kaplan this morning. I've known Karen since the summer of 2007, say it was Mm. 2007, when I opened a new development building uh, in Midtown West, and she was the first customer to walk through the door, and I shall never forget that. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm going to ask her to tell that story quickly. The office wasn't open yet. I think we had maybe 10 or 15 more minutes, and in she came, the door came bolted open. So anyway, we will get to the panel uh, shortly, uh, our news items and our hot topics of the week. But first, Good morning, Karen. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you, Vince? I'm doing very well. So listen, you know, we we joke about this and we've laughed about this for almost nine years now. But tell us quickly about um, the day you first walked into that film center off-site office for the 505 building in Midtown West, because I will never forget that day. Same. Um, It was back in 07. My husband and I had lived for many years in Westchester County in New York which was our primary residence. We had just invested in our first pied-à-terre in Manhattan, and we wanted a second pied-à-terre. And we, at the time, um, were very much interested in new construction and set our sights on purchasing an apartment in this particular building. And my husband went in to speak to the listing agent about what was available, and he came back out to the car moments later to tell me that he was denied access to any apartments because they were not yet being um, released to the public. So I told him to sit in the car and I stormed in and insisted that I speak to the manager. And within a very short period of time, I bullied Vince um, into selling us an apartment. And uh, it was a little bit of a contentious meeting, but I knew right there that this was a man I wanted to develop a relationship with long-term well, we're going to talk about that, and thank you for that. But you know what? She did do exactly as she said, and the good news there is she was the first person 
to buy an apartment. Yes. We just weren't ready to open the door. We were nervous. It was like first day, and we were still trying to get our— But I was ready. But you were ready. Yes. Believe me, you were ready. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we, we talked about that on my staff uh, back in those days for the longest time. So, you know, how important is it for you as a buyer and then also as a seller? Because, you know, through the nine years we've done, I don't even know how many about transactions. About nine transactions. There we go. Buy, B- sell, buy, sell, as well as renting out— Correct. Some of our properties. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, the relationship that is established with, you know, uh, your agent and and why it's important. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, what people out there don't understand is they look at this as a a business of, you know, just transactional. It's it's real estate. You know, somebody wants to buy an apartment. You open a door. You show an apartment. You close the door. Mm. Either they buy or they rent or they don't. But it's it's really a lot more to that. It's so much more. I mean, you can... On any day, you know, go anywhere in Manhattan and buy an apartment, that's the easy part. But the relationship with your broker is utmost important. Um, It's because of Vince that my husband and I have had so much success over these years in stepping up every couple of years to now, um, just a few months ago, closing on what I would say is very close to our dream apartment. Um, Early on in the process, Vince worked with us to develop a strategy to buy relatively low and sell uh, relatively high. Um, We had the luxury of being able to hold our apartments till the market changed. And Vince very patiently worked with us and directed us. And the greatest part of that relationship was that he never pressured us to do anything for a quick sale on his end. He got to know us um, extremely well and know, you know, what our future goals and aspirations were. And he very gingerly worked with us um, through the process of buying and selling several condos in the city um, and it worked out beautifully the best part with Vince is that we love him as a friend as well as a real estate broker and that's critical because we trust him completely Um, even when things get a little prickly in the process he's the calming in the storm you're going to make me blush yes (laughs) he talks me off the ledge when necessary and that's critical because this process can chew you up and spit you out. It can eat you alive. It's fast-paced. It's complicated. And at this point, I've also learned a tremendous amount from him. So with each transaction, it becomes easier for me to walk through it and have the clarity to know that what I'm purchasing next makes sense for me personally as well as for investment purposes. Let's talk a little bit about the process because I think that's where people who are outside of Manhattan don't necessarily understand. My panel does a great job with me every week in in going through the actual transaction of real estate because it is so different here Mm -hmm. than it is anywhere else Mm -hmm. uh, in in the world. Mm -hmm. And my panel of experts, you know, again, handle that with me brilliantly. But from from a consumer perspective, from a buyer and from a seller, tell us, you know, what is, you know, intriguing to you about the process because Because as you said, you know, it it can eat you up and spit you out. It can be very, very difficult. And for people who do it, you know, for the first time. uh, Must be terrifying. (laughs) It's it's terrifying and they don't even, they don't really understand it. Well, it's very unique here as opposed to a place like Westchester County in New York, um, which is a suburban commuter town where things are much slower. Um, It's a completely different process here. It is so fast paced. that you really need to 
move quickly. You need to understand what you're looking at. Um, you know, the nuances with everything that you're seeing or everything that you're selling. Um, you need to be very well educated by your broker. Um, Even in times when the, the the sale, for example, we put a listing up, we put a price on it, mm-hmm. and, and I, I have a couple of situations going on right now. The market tends to cool every once in a mm-hmm. while, cool down every mm-hmm. once in a while, so the, the sell effort isn't as quick as we sometimes want it. And sometimes Clearly sellers not. get frustrated because they don't understand mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they don't live in the marketplace like I do every day. They don't get that. You, we will sell at you know, definitely yes. will sell a unit, but sometimes it's going to take a little longer than, than not. Well, exactly. That happened and to us in our last purchase. Right. And that's why I spoke earlier about you talking me off the ledge. We listed our last apartment at a time where the New York City um, real estate market was on fire. And literally, the day we listed, the market tanked for about a six-month period. It absolutely did. And I freaked Mm-hmm. And Vince, again, was clearly the calming in the storm and continually said to me, we will sell, we will sell. Um, he helped walk me through the listing price versus what was realistic in terms of selling in such a market at the time. And in putting our trust in him, it was a beautiful experience. We really did end up selling it as he promised. It took a little bit longer, but it was certainly worth the wait, a la his guidance. I remember I was up in the Hudson Valley that that summer um, mm-hmm. vacationing mm-hmm. Um, for most of that summer, but you know, back and forth, of course, as needed. And I but, stalked you on But a I remember basis. you called me one day. I was just about to sit down to have uh, brunch with some friends, and I remember you called. We had a, I think, which was one of our better conversations through the years because you were frustrated. I was completely frustrated mm-hmm. over the fact that the market was so cold and so chilled, mm-hmm. and and I, I really just like we had never seen in and, recent years. Correct, and I do, I do remember you know getting taken so many things from that conversation, but at the end of it, we both realized that yeah. Okay, because I think we talked about maybe we'll take it off, maybe we'll let it sit for a while, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll rent just, it. Yeah, and because by the way, at that point we had contracted for a new apartment pre-construction. Well, that's what so I was going to get at. So we knew time ahead. was ticking. Mm-hmm. In the end, that took almost two years to complete. Mm-hmm. We had been in contract right for a new apartment, so Correct. of course, you know, buying one, selling another one, it, it gets a little crazy a little sometimes. But you know, at the end of the day, I think the process worked itself out there. We, um, I don't think the market at that point ever got as robust as we wanted it to, but we found a yep, seller, I mean, a buyer rather, and we mm-hmm. found a, a perfect buyer for your apartment. Perfect. And what I want to also ask you to talk a little bit about is, you know. The way you show apartments, meaning how you stage your apartments, mm-hmm. how you live in your apartments, mm-hmm. and why it's easy for me to sell your apartments, because well, it really is. Part of the reason that I love the Manhattan real estate game, if you will, is that it's sort of a creative outlet for me. I absolutely love a new space. I particularly have a yen, if you will, for new construction Um, But I have had some experience in transforming a resale that I've purchased. It is a creative outlet. It is a work of art to me. I have an insatiable passion for every detail, every corner of my um, apartment. And so in staging it for my own use, uh, it has not only proven fruitful for my own personal existence, but whenever we've gone to sell my apartments, 
they show like model homes in essence, uh, and it it in has proven to make Vince's job easier. Even the tire kickers that come in to check out the place on a Sunday for sport are tempted to make an offer. I have to tell you something. Anytime Michael or Karen calls me to list their apartment, and it's been multiple times I hear you cheering in the background. I, You know, I don't even have (laughs) to worry or say what I say to most. I just recently came back. My business partner and I went and and pitched a listing, you know, at the building I sell in all the time. I don't even want to begin to tell you the condition of this apartment. It was uh, to the point where horrifying. I walked away horrifying, but I like I don't even know how I can put this together because I could be really mm. good at that stuff too. Mm. This is a lot of work. Yeah. And it's a brand new building. It's like, how, you know, how people, you know, do their thing. But coming into your place, no matter if it's just for a cocktail, you know, for a, a dinner mm-hmm. engagement or because I'm, I'm checking it out for pictures for a listing uh, situation, it always um, shows well. And as I've said on this program many, many times, you know, you're going to sell your apartment if it shows well and if it's priced right. Those are the Absolutely. two elements that are going to make an apartment sell quickly or even at all. And people who don't understand that really mm-hmm. have an issue because it, you know, they get in their own way. Uh, and a model home or a perfectly staged home mm-hmm. is, is beautiful, especially well, you when you're talking new development. On that point also about being priced right, that's the one place that we trust Vince 100%. <clears throat> When Vince tells us, yes, you want X, but you will only yield Y, mm-hmm. we accept that. There's no debating it. There's no discussion. Vince knows. He knows his business, and we have to trust him exclusively, and we have, and it's worked every time. And the same holds true on the buy side. Vince will not tell me, oh, you like that? Great, buy it so that he makes a sale tomorrow. He's the voice of reason. And again, with the last apartment that we purchased, Vince knew going in that we were looking at potentially two years before he got paid. And that was a non-issue for him. He very well could have schlepped us around Manhattan for two days and sold us something that would close in 60 days. Correct. But he really, he he is our best friend in real estate. Well, I appreciate that. So, you know, we have about a minute left. And I just wanted to say, you know, it's a pleasure working with you as a buyer and as a seller, but also as a friend. Absolutely. Um, so we have to get ready for another project. Because we were talking we before do. the show started how we miss we do. We, each other um, not being in a deal. That's right? the unique and, and silly aspect of the friendship that we've developed all of these years that... Even in the, let's say, two to three year period where Michael and I are not buying or selling, we miss Vince terribly. And every so often we call each other and say, I just miss you. We need to do a deal. And then lo and behold, shortly thereafter, we do do a deal. So I very much look forward to our next deal. So in the meantime, it's Lertuse. We're going to come up with a date. We're going to have dinner very soon. Absolutely. I have to go to break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll be right back. Karen Kaplan, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and I'm here with the panel, Rachel um, Altshuler, uh, Pearl Brombat, uh, Phil Horrigan, Deb Hoffman is on her way, and Niall Lundgren is here. So let's get to some new di- news items first, and then we'll get Ooh, to the hot Nude hot items? Nude items. Oh, oh, let's talk naked. I didn't have any water on my mouth. <laughs> it was juicy. Now today's the, the word of the day is naked. Naked. <laughs> every, every week there's something else. All right. Nearly a decade after purchasing a penthouse in Tribeca River, Tribeca's River Lofts Tower, it looks like Gwyneth Paul and Coldplay singer Chris Martin are finally unloading that property. The couple who split in 2014 purchased the nearly 4,000 square foot home in 2007 for $5.1 million per city records. It hit the market last Tuesday with a much higher asking price of $14.25 million. How does this standard? It's average. <laughs> I, I can't, I mean, it's... <laughs> The couple commissioned design dream team Roman and Williams to give the entire space a revamp and a hefty new listing price. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. Nora Jones bought the lovely 19th century carriage house at 117 Pacific Street last year, and now it looks like the singer-songwriter is getting ready to make some changes to that landmark structure. Brownstoner uncovered permits that show Jones is working with architects to make some changes to the building, including changing the building's use from a two-family to a single-family home and removing an existing addition on the first floor. The house originally hit the market in 2014, asking $8 million, but got a series of price chops before Jones snapped it up for $6.25 million. We talked about that last year. I remember when she bought Good that. Good job, Miss Jones. You well, got it's a it. mistake to make it from a two to a one, in my opinion. I agree. And actually, I saw the floor plan the other day when I was l- researching the story, and it's not really a two-family. It's kind of like an efficiency apartment in one corner of a right. top floor. But it does which, offset the monthlies, and that's what people love. Exactly. So I would have left it. But anyway, New York City has taken a step forward for providing the city's 25,000 uh, transgender and gender non-conforming residents with safe, comfortable access to public restrooms. Last week, Mayor Bill de Blasio signed an executive order mandating that municipal buildings provide provide access to restrooms that align with a person's gender identity and that individuals using them should not face harassment or questioning. Failure to enforce the mandate could lead to prosecution under the city's human rights law. Did you know that the owner of 9 West 57th Street has to pay the city $12,000 a year to have that big circle nine out on the sidewalk in front of the building or that the Grand Hyatt New York Hotel next to Grand Central Terminal has to pay nearly $300,000 a year for its mezzanine level restaurant that juts over the sidewalk. 
These are just two examples of how the city um, rakes in big bucks for items on or over sidewalks. News to me. The New York Times says it adds up to $60 million a year annually. Uh, Another example is the clock outside Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue, which costs $3,000 a year. Uh, It seems affordable. It seems affordable compared to three hundred. He negotiated a great deal. (laughs) (laughs) He negotiated a great deal, but then it goes on to say, "But then nobody can confirm that that bill has been paid." So. Precisely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rent Cafe recently ranked uh, ranked the 20 most expensive zip codes in the country, and 15 of them turned out to be in Manhattan. And guess what? 10036 Hell's Kitchen, leading the pack with a median rent of $4,720. Hell's Kitchen. Big yeah. change that's, over the last five, ten years. Huh? What? That's well, crazy. I wanted to ask you about that. And then the West Village <clears throat> came in a close second with a median rent of 4650 with other high-priced areas like Battery Park, City, Lenox Hill, and Chelsea making the list as well. Tribeca was conspicuously absent as the available sample size of 80 departments was deemed too small to provide definitive data. For example, Beverly Hills was excluded from the list for the same reason. However, if Tribeca had made the cut, it would have landed on top with a mind-boggling median rent of $12,780 per month. Median, wow. Median, yes. If you're wondering how Hell's Kitchen beat out some of the city's most notoriously high-priced neighborhoods, it's very well maybe due to the sample size of the study. I'm a little confused by this whole thing. Rent Cafe looked at median rents for all apartment sizes and found that 10036 Hell's Kitchen had a higher ratio of large apartments than many quaint, expensive downtown areas which likely pushed up the median numbers. What was the source on what this? What do we say? Uh, rent Cafe? Uh, uh, <clears throat> syndicated I columnist? I mean, I, news to me. I don't know about me. Rent Cafe, but I think it might have something to do with the, the overall density. Of There's just so much new product being built in a lot of those buildings. In Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of those buildings are offering OP in months free, so they're actually getting a higher rent number. Yep. That's but, a very but, good point. but there's a lot of incentives. So a five thousand dollar apartment actually will net out if you amortize it with two or three months free to be forty three hundred or something like that mm-hmm. to make it actually affordable. And a lot more rental buildings there in that area. Yeah, well. it's just a higher density yeah. and more apartments. And the new new development uh, around Forty Second Street, especially, is like a bunch of investors who are all renting it out. I mean, exactly. if you look, there's like yeah. forty one bedrooms on the market at one time in each building. Yeah. So that's even the condos are are become rentals almost. But yeah. Phil, a quick question yeah. for you because you know Hills Kitchen, Mid- Midtown West, Clinton, whatever you know, not not the highest priced neighborhood from a sale perspective. So, mm-hmm. what is it about the rental number that's really so high? Forgetting no. that it can't comes in number one, but right. why, why so much? In I that think it's what these guys said. I think it has to do with the mix of it. I mean, I wouldn't say that the the average the average renter doesn't feel like like a you know if you talk about where the most affordable places to to live in the city. Then this is so interesting about this because if you just said to someone, if someone came to me and said, "Oh, I want to live in the city. Where could I live in the most affordable place to right. live?" I'd probably mention Hell's Kitchen as one of those places because there are also a number of smaller brownstone walk-ups that they're not going to get those kind of prices. However, how do you define Hell's Kitchen? They're probably defining it as 40s and 50s. Yeah. And like Rachel said, like the 40s in particular have so many high-rise buildings, so it's because of quote-unquote mix the amount of very high-end condo units and, and rental units, I don't know if it's just rentals or they include condos that are being rented out, but brings that number up. I think both. You know, and then of course there's been a lot of attention to that area in the last five years and I do think there has been an increase in the prices overall. So I think it's a combination of the mix and just the overall neighborhood increasing that has changed the rentals a little bit, but still, I don't think that's, that's 100% accurate and gives people, doesn't give people like a true picture of what's really going on there. 
All right, moving on. The boom in new condominium construction has been kind to the marketeers who sell them. New development marketing giant Corcoran Sunshine, headed by Kelly Kennedy Mac, inked $5.6 billion in contracts on behalf of its developer clients in 2015 and its best year ever and nearly doubled its 2014 volume the company announced last week. The firm estimates that it represented 54% of all new development sales in Manhattan in 2015 with a borough-wide average sale price of $3,027 per square foot, a record for the company. That is an astounding number. Average, $3,027 per square foot in their new development sites. Very interesting. The owner of one of the buildings destroyed in the East Village gas explosion last March put his vacant lot on the market for $9.7 million. We all remember that. We talked about it on the show after the explosion. George Pasternak's five-story, three-unit rental building at 123 Second Avenue was demolished by the city. The building between East 6th and East 7th Streets was also home to two stores, including Pomfrites. The city charged Pasternak over $350,000 for the dem- for the demolition. Interesting. So he'll make a lot of money in this unfortunate episode of building blowing up, but he'll make a lot of money. $9.7 million. Isn't that something? Well, it's going to be a development site. There's a couple of buildings that were, that were affected yeah. by it, so it's, it's now it's a prime development site. One would wonder. <laughs> anyway, I'm here again with the panel. Parul, Rachel, Phil, Deborah has joined us, and Niall. A garbage Ooh. truck, really? I had a typical New York morning where I was running very early and every street (laughs) my vehicle turned down, there was a garbage truck picking up garbage and they couldn't back. And the car I was in could not back up because someone pulled up behind us. Good morning, New York. Yes. So it's so good to be with my radio family. And I think my taxi rants are getting crazier, but that's too much. Your rant was insane. (laughs) You know, the only reason I bring it up is because, of course, you know I like to rant about taxi cabs, but when he said that to me, I wanted to kill him. That's why I'm sitting in the front seat. Wait, fill us in, fill us in. I don't know what you're talking about. The taxi cab driver? What happened? What was the rant? Got to watch Facebook more. I was I going, I, I, and everybody was saying Uber and Via and whatever, but I came, walked out of the building and the taxi happened to be sitting right there, so I jumped in it. So anyway, it's pouring rain, and so we're on the upper way, and I'm, my head is in my phone, so I'm not really paying attention. By 85th Street and Broadway, I think, on my way home, I looked up, and it's pouring so hard, and the windshield is just covered with water, and he doesn't have the wipers on, so I kept, I, I thought to myself... <laughs> You know, is this man crazy? So I said, would you please put the, 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 the wipers on? And he just he ignored didn't work. me. No, he ignored me. <laughs> and then I said it again, and he said, um, no, it makes me dizzy. I can see. So <laughs> I said, well, okay, I'm in the back seat. Now, where do you go with this, right? So I'm thinking to myself, raising my voice, I said, are you kidding me? I don't want to tell you the word I used before that, but I said, are you kidding me? You, can't, you can see? I said, I can't see anything. But it, it, it's unsafe. Put the wipers on. He said, that's why I'm sitting in the front seat. Well, that's why I'm in the front seat. Oh, my gosh. In other words, you're in the back seat. Keep your mouth shut and stay there. So wow. did he put the, put the wipers on? No. I think that entitles you to get out. out of the cab. And in the middle of the rain? Yeah, 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 red but light he knew you were not going to want to do that. It was exactly. pouring rain, and I was like, not getting out of that cab. I did yeah. think about it. But you know what? I had my headphones in. I raised the music, and I just said, whatever. <laughs> you still gave him a nice tip, right? I did tip him. I did. Somebody asked me that this morning. I said, you know what? I, I'm a sucker. I mean, I, you know, the guy works hard for, well, works hard. He's a jackass. But I mean, 
Yeah. Yeah. Please yeah. use a seatbelt. That's all you got to do. I put the seatbelt yeah. on. Yeah. Trust me. Good. There you go. See, that cab there was yeah. testing you because we've talked about all these other services, and you said, okay, no more yellow cabs, and it was waiting for you and testing you. <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder, you know, that old black cloud scenario, if there's a taxi cloud that hangs over my head, because normally I am in an Uber. I mean, I generally take Uber or Via or, you know, whatever, but, you know, it was pouring, so I just jumped. He must have been dropping somebody off in front of my building, so I just jumped in the car. And Taxi black see, cow, but black how do you cloud. not put your wipers on? I mean, it's like you, I mean, it was raining and, you know, running down the window so strong. Is it an Old Testament thing that says, if you believe it, it is? No, so maybe it's some, but that's it's some, kind of it's where some I was going. Exactly, yeah. you believe it yeah. is. I have the if same thing about is, yeah. a subway. So subways to me, I think it's about the energy you put out there. And if you're expecting a bad experience, you see them more. And you, because you're expecting it more. So that's how you feel about cabs. Or that's how I feel about a subway. Every time I walk on, it's always something that happens. Always. But there are people that walk around and literally are like, like totally oblivious. I'm and like that. Yeah. Well, I, I, love I can see that, Phil. <laughs> Phil, I know you well enough to know that you're super calm and you mind your own business, but I'm very aware of what's around me. And so I'm me always, too. yeah. And I'm the person that yells at somebody to get up for a pregnant woman. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> don't push that woman. She's has a cane. What are you doing? Like I'm that person. Don't mess with me. That's yeah. right. All right. We have to go to break and coming back. We'll talk about our hot <laughs> topics. You are listening to good morning, New York on the voice America variety channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit Blue Realty Group That's B-L-U Realty Group.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, we're, we're here. We're back. Talking to the panel, hot topics. I did want to ask, though, uh, about uh, the status of the market in all of your, you know, situations. I have um, three new listings in the last week or two, two or three more coming on, and I'm thinking, okay, so that's great news. I mean, you know, it's great to have listings and it's great to, you know, you know, whatever, sell them. But open houses the past couple of weeks have been dead, quiet, one person, two people. I think this week um, we had four, five people 
come through. Yeah, what price point? Uh, a million, million one, million two. Really? Surprising in that what it's neighborhood? What yeah. neighborhood? Midtown West. One bedroom, two bedroom. But, yeah, one ones. But they're in the same building. Ah, uh, that's it. So it's not yeah, an, ding, ding, ding. an accurate assessment on the market because it's all in one building. But here I wanted to ask though because yeah. you know you just said Phil, you know uh, what one bedrooms, and I said yes. So is it? it and I'm, I think we talked about this last week of the week, but two, two weeks ago. Is it the one million dollar number on one bedroom bedrooms that is scaring people away? all of a sudden or is it just maybe you know what a slow I, I, point in the market in all honesty I think that it's about how people run searches uh, I Rachel and I were briefly talking about this before the show but it just you know it used to be that a broker is you know without street easy being like our go-to thing right now like most of most brokers as well as in buyers sort of run the search saying okay what's new in the last 14 days so it's almost difficult to, for us to get the full-on hits because people are searching the market on a certain timeline and they're also searching in certain areas so if you draw a grid where you're like I don't think I want to go past 9th Avenue right then all of a sudden you're building that's right on the other side of 9th Avenue that they would normally consider is no longer showing up in the search. And I think we even as brokers are increasingly becoming more and more dependent on just like putting punching in numbers and running searches a certain way. Also, if you're if you're at 1.1 or 1.2, if somebody's looking for up to 1.250 or something, you're going to hit their search. But if they're looking up to a million, then, then you no longer show up. So I think it's gotten tricky. Rachel, to your point, so all being in one building, I, I also agree with that. So what generally then is the state of the market for, say, one bedrooms around the city? So I had three open houses in three different neighborhoods. I can tell you, Brooklyn is ridiculous. Yeah, I was swamped. I showed up 10 minutes early. Line was already out the door. I brought cookies. Nobody ate them. It's fine. Um, (laughs) Well, the line line out the door, nobody ate the cookies? (laughs) No, they never eat. They're just interested in the real estate. It's a New York City thing. People don't eat Did you make them yourself? No. They eat my cupcakes. They eat my cupcakes when I bring them. They were interested in buying an apartment. They were focused. They're not into the cookies, you know. So this is a one-bedroom in Clinton Hill for $5.75 with very low well, in a walk-up. But Clinton Hill is, is not wow, one of those amazing. prime neighborhoods in Brooklyn. But, I mean, it, but I was swamped. What's yeah. the price point on it? Five seventy-five. That's wonderful. And then I had a very small studio for three forty-five, which I think is overpriced because it's no view and it's, very, it's a 10 by 10 box. <laughs> swamped. Swamped in that one as well. Any offers on either one of those? Uh, getting on both. So, yeah, well, I like, think I mean, it's listen, about pricing the, it correctly at the end of the day. But even though yeah. you say that it might be overpriced three forty five, mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a it's low price, price point. Right. Yeah. It's such a low price, comparatively for speaking, for any apartment. And if you want to own a piece of the rock yep. in this town, as everybody yep. says, that's a great entry but, point. But, you know. ding, 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 no view. So what happens is when you overprice something, I only overpriced it because the seller who's so sweet, if she's listening, you're very, very sweet, but your parents <laughs> wanted to test the market and thought, even though the last two comps in the building are $299 and $295, yeah. let's try $345. So what and happens it's is working. it's a low price point. It attracts a lot of people, but they all, for the most part, walk in and go, there's no view. And then you don't get offers. Right. Yeah. So, it, but Going you know, back to that's the search the tr- engines, it's yep. in the threes, not the twos. So, pe- so people who will take... Um, a no view apartment 
probably are not in that neighborhood willing to pay in the threes. They look up to But three. they will, that's right, they will pay in the twos, just what Perul said, the search engines. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's very important. All right, moving on. Over the past um, few years, if you owned a co-op in New York City, pretty much the only way you could tap into the equity of your apartment and extract some cash uh, was by refinancing your entire mortgage. When interest rates were dropping, it was a smart move. You could often refinance into a lower interest rate loan and take cash out without changing your monthly payments. But... With rates inching back up, taking cash out when you refinance means monthly payments will be higher. On top of the two to three thousand dollars it costs to uh, refinance, for example, with refinancing less attractive and home values surging, the home equity line of credit or HELOC has sprung back to life. It's been <laughs> in and out of you know co-op uh, refinancing uh, situations forever, but HELOC seems to be back. Why is it becoming so popular? At what do we know uh, about HELOCs? Well, HELOC is a home equity line of credit. Basically allows you to uh, draw a line of credit on the equity that you have built or have you know put down in your in your apartment or you know home. Um, you know, I, I've seen some of uh, you know HELOC loans be used on uh, multifamily. Um, you know, once in a building appreciates, you can kind of you know pull that instead of refinancing and then you know make additions or uh, renovation use that for renovation so is it like a credit card you have sort of like a line of credit that you can kind of pull money out every yeah, time you want to yeah do you're, you're pulling the money but then you have to you have to obviously pay it back at an interest rate correct but, but you, that gives you the ability to to make upgrades for sure is it easier to qualify for a HELOC than it is for typical refinancing of your overall outstanding loan well um, it's less If you're living in a Mm co-op, it's less complicated because if you want to refinance, again, the building has to approve. And sometimes, depending on the building, you have to put in an entirely new board Board package package. with all your finances. With a HELOC, you really don't have to in most buildings. There's a few questions, (coughs) excuse me, that the banks have to get from the buildings. But the buildings don't really fuss over this unless you've been one of these people who's late on your maintenance payments and they're thinking, uh-oh, they're having some financial troubles, then they ask for everything. But if everything's hunky-dory and just going along, the buildings will answer the questions and it's much easier. You're right about you know typical refinancing in co-ops <laughs> that the boards have to re-examine or undress you one more time, as I always say, in a new board package or at least a financial disclosure, but in a HELOC, that's not necessary. So, of course, they come screaming back into fashion because when people want to renovate, uh, they have now the opportunity to do so with less scrutiny. On the heels of that, while some wisely chosen upgrades will boost your potential sale price, it's likely not worth saying, laying out tens of thousands of dollars and months of rental-related headaches if your only goal is to raise your apartment's value for an impending sale. We talked about this not too long ago, but you know, I bring it up again because people have been asking me about this in um, in listings. You know, that coming up, and one in particular said to me just lat two weeks ago, it, "Do I need to do anything in my apartment to make uh, this sale happen faster? Interesting, happen faster uh, to get my price." Et cetera, et cetera. So what, what, what's the feeling overall in this marketplace? I mean, every couple of months, you know, in this business, we have a new market. So in this particular marketplace, what's the feeling on that? Is it worth putting $10,000, $5,000, a paint job of 4500 into an apartment? Is it going to get the place sold faster? That's number one. And number two, at the asking price. Well, you know, <clears throat> if a place gets sold faster, that often means that you'll get a higher price as well. Because what happens is, is... Th- I always, have told, I always tell buyers at renovations or sellers that renovations are 
important. You should definitely seriously consider renovating before you sell. Now, it depends on what, of course. There are some things that add more value, some <clears> things that don't add as much value, and we could talk about that. But sometimes a seller will say, well, why would I put all this, you know, all this money into the apartment? I mean, I, I want to get it back. And, and I'll often say, well, you will sell it a lot faster. And by selling it faster, that means it's going to be on the market a lot less. And if it's on the market a lot less, that means that other people that are looking at it will see that it's a bit on the market less because the longer something stays on the market, the price starts to go down. You know, so if something sells more quickly, you tend to also get a better price. Now, just real quickly, in terms of what adds value, what doesn't, um, like for example, I think if the floors are a wreck, and I'm exaggerating here a little bit, spending money on floors makes a huge difference. Yes, it it's does. obviously very difficult to do that if you're already living there, because it could be very difficult to redo floors. But but that's something that you get a lot of bang for your buck, in my opinion. Now, sometimes you could just stain and uh, you could just sand and polyurethane floors and they look brand new just for a couple thousand dollars and that's often the way to go. I agree and disagree. Sorry to cut you off but I want to I want to go right there please, please in do. the middle of your point. Right, please. If the rest of the apartment needs a renovation, like if it's original condition and the floors are really bad, don't do anything to the floors. If it's everything is super luxurious yeah. and sexy but yeah. right. there was a big leak, then yes, you fix it. Because the reality is you're going to spend 20 to 30,000 on floors. And someone's right. going to want to do the work anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, sure. yeah, so, yeah, I agree. Go ahead. yeah, I would say in that, in that case, if you have an apartment that's a total wreck, what I would do, try to tell the seller to do <laughs> is at least try to make it so there's like, it, it appears to be a minimal amount of stuff to do. So you want to make sure it's as minimal as possible. You want to possibly at least maybe, you know, clean the floors as good as you can. Maybe, maybe even sand and polyurethane, depending on the situation. I've seen so many wrecks where somebody will like, it's an estate sale, and what the broker will suggest to the seller to do, and I think it's genius, is all they'll do is paint the walls, take everything out of the apartment, and they'll re-sand and re-polyurethane the floors. And it's unbelievable how much value just that adds. And this is like, I'm talking about $2 million apartments. Have you seen this, Vince? I mean, And, and I wash think the windows. So I have. And, and wash the windows. Yeah, yeah, and wash the windows, absolutely. And these wow. little things can make a big, also big difference. Little Washing windows like also- is a big deal. And, you know, I go into buildings mm. all the time, as we all do, and my particular building in Midtown that I'm always selling in, you know, I just said to the super the other day, you know, when you guys scheduled to wash the windows, his answer, we're not. Unacceptable. Now, unacceptable. But, I mean, you you know, you can't clean the outside of these windows. I mean, you just can't. They're big sliding windows. Don't they do it once or twice a year? Once or twice a year, but I couldn't get a definitive answer from him. He said, we're not scheduled coming up, I guess. So, you know, when you put a listing up, which I have three in that building, you know, the inside you can keep clean, but floor to ceiling on the outside, who can clean that? Yeah, and that's a low building, so you want as much light as possible. Yes. Thank you. Perula, you were going to say something and I cut you off. I now don't remember. So you don't okay. remember. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't let's, that important. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about time on market. Phil mentioned this before. What what is what do we see these days with time on market for apartments? Because you know we we can sell things quickly again ba- based on you know uh, price and whatever, and sometimes even if it's priced right, which in my particular case um, I have one that's priced perfect and it's still sitting four weeks. Mm. So I mean I've gone to the days of three or four months, hopefully. But you know what's time on market average these days? Are things really selling quickly? It depends on price point. Well, it depends on price point and the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, and the size of the apartment. I think it's, what, 120 days? Uh, well, 70, I've heard 78 all the way to 120. So it really kind of depends on the market, of course, co-op versus condo. Um, and I don't know if some of these studies go from the original asking for, or from the reduced price. 
So it really is kind of tricky. Usually from uh, original asking. And, you know, Street Easy is, is famous for that, you know, X amount of days on market. You know, right. that's where the averages are coming from. Right. Even if it's on and off, you know, they go back to, you know, whatever. Right. The d- day one. So it's day one of incorrect pricing or day one of correct pricing. Right. And then all price um, adjustments uh, as they go along. But I'm just curious because a lot of a lot of my agents have also said the same thing. Great listings, great locations, not necessarily, you know, in one neighborhood. Um, and especially downtown, I was um, talking to one of my guys uh, yesterday who does a lot of downtown work. And some of his stuff is sitting, you know, for weeks and weeks. Yeah, I think, too, it just highlights uh, an overall shift kind of in the market. And, you know, where there's two different types of sellers. It's the sellers who are, you know, you know pricing realistically. And then they're, they're, accept, they're like open to you know doing a deal with a buyer because buyers are becoming uh, they're more living in the future and sellers are living more in the past mm-hmm. and then you have the other seller who's you know it could be you know well priced but you know the fact that they got an offer you know I, I submitted an offer for example that was four percent off of ask and the seller was like absolutely not and it's like all right well that was four percent off and they didn't even want to counter um, so then we just kind of say, all right, well, yeah, exactly. So it's <laughs> like they're they're living in the past, right? So he's he's gonna hold on, and it was apartment that was on the market for ten days, and then you know, great, we'll revisit it in two months, and let me, let's see how you're doing then, you know. So it, it really depends on I think on the personality of the seller and in what dynamic because every deal has a different dynamic mm-hmm. and what dynamic the buyer's bringing to that. Are they trying to lowball too soon? There's a lot of uh, psychology that plays into it as well, it's, and it's about it goes back. I think it was Vince that said interviewing your broker because everyone are interviewing the seller or buyer and they always think like they're interviewing us but actually in theory we also interview them as well absolutely and it's about understanding their motivation their timeline what's really going on in their life how do they have to sell do they can they yeah, wait another year testing the market to yeah. see what they can get with mm-hmm. no real plan of what they're going to do next yeah. like they're not going to be willing to accept an offer that's four percent you know, yes. off ask. They're like, well, let's see if we can get full. And then it's on the market. So it really, it, it's like during this shift period of the market, it, it just comes down to personality. I want to ask a couple more questions on that point, but we have to take a break. Uh, you're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and I'm talking to Parul Brombat from Compass, Rachel Altshuler from Douglas Elliman, Phil Horrigan, leasebreak.com, Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential, and Niall Lundgren from uh, Compass as well. All right, so I wanted to just go back to what Niall was um, saying before the break. So do we feel that we're in a buyer's market, or are we still in a seller's market, or are we somewhere in between? In limbo. Or an yeah. in-between in market. Yeah. Which, yeah. actually, Barbara Corcoran always said, an in-between market is not good for buyers or sellers or brokers because no one really knows what's going to happen. That's what I'm getting at. And we're worried. Well, every, everyone's worried because nobody wants to be taken advantage of buyers, sellers, or brokers. And everyone still wants to find a home. So it's, yeah, well, I mean, it's look, the worst There's a market. lot of uncertainty. There's global yeah. uncertainty. It's an election year. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's there's a lot of factors that play into stock it. Stock market. Yeah, the stock market. You know, we, we could just keep going with that list. But at the end of the day, what are, what are we all doing? We're, we're still making deals happen, and they are happening. It just comes down to, how, you know, how motivated are the buyers and sellers that we're working with? You know, it's, it's also, still a strong I, You market. know what? I think that that's Great. when I believe that we are the most useful because we're the ones who can can add the Navigate. the meditative value of yeah. just breathe and when everything's going like this we back it up with data and we say look you know this is what seems like reality and ultimately ultimately it comes down to we have 22 square miles in which we are all playing on if you're working on Manhattan maybe a little more if you're also looking at Brooklyn and there's so many people and there's so much demand and if you look at the curve over time in real estate in this market is in our market we're so fortunate it's always there's deltas but the the trajectory is always upwards so yes you're going to have many little blips to up and down or whatever or even big ones but ultimately our market has shown, shown so much strength that I just find it really valuable to remind my buyers like you know even if you end up paying ten thousand dollars more or less it's not going to like be do or die if you're not selling if you don't if you don't think you're going to have to sell in like two to three years you're going to be just fine you know like that ten thousand dollars is going to come back to you in spades like I'm not advocating overpay, but if you want to buy your home, don't make that the breaker, you know, the make or break moment. And I so, can't even begin to tell you how many times yeah. I have had that conversation. Yeah. Which we've all had that conversation with our buyers on and on and on and on. And it's easy for us to have that conversation because we do it all the time, but it's right. not always so easy for our buyers to absorb that. Phil, I wanted to get back to something you and I were talking about in the break. Inventory in some neighborhoods seems to be still you know, historically low. Do we see inventory, you know, changing around the low city? All or is around, it yeah. Low all around. It's slow, but with a caveat, because in certain price points and certain sizes, I'm seeing that inventory is rising, but not because new apartments are coming on the market, because some sellers who have been very unrealistic for a long time are finally lowering the prices to where they should be. And I was shocked a couple weeks ago when I was able to take a one-bedroom buyer out and show her 37 apartments. 
I was expecting five, six, maybe in what neighborhood? Thirty-seven. The Upper East, the entire Upper yeah, East that Side. Makes sense. Wow. Upper East Side. Has long I long was either. shocked. What? How long were you with her that day? That sounds like a long day for you. We, we, we did. Th- <laughs> that's no. right. No, we did. <laughs> we did three days. Okay. We did three days. But Talk about that taxi rent. That's, that's yeah. right. That's an Uber <laughs> delight. That's, yeah, but they were still. Like, but they weren't flying off the shelves so quickly because people were so surprised. Right. That oh, here they are, and some of them had quirks. Like one of them, a building you could not get financing in. Even though it's gorgeous. Well, yeah. right yeah. It's always going to yeah. be that. But 37? When there's a, a lot of inventory, to me, that that's that's a killer. That's tough. Because all buyers are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All of a sudden, I have choice. Baskin-Robbins syndrome. Right. <laughs> the Paradox of choice. I just coined that. But listen to us. Isn't that something when there's too much inventory, that's a problem? And then on the flip side of it, which we've been experiencing Can't in a couple win. of years— not enough inventory, and we can't deal with that. But I, I think I know where you're going. Right. With I mean, that. look, it's obviously, it's obviously a good thing for buyers to have choice, you right. know. But I just mean it could be a quote unquote can't killer make a for decision. the market because what happens is now there's, there's, there's much less urgency. But I would say also what it happens quickly. Like if all of a sudden they go out three weeks ago, there's nothing, and they go out and now you're saying 37 apartments, and that happened. Buyers are like, whoa, yeah, yeah. what is going well, on here? This, this is them. a point I've been saying for the past two months to mm. my buyers: look before April because spring. Spring yes. market. I mean, there's it's so gonna much go more crazy. inventory. So yep. if you want a better deal, more negotiating, mm-hmm. you know, power. bargaining power, Absolutely. you look before April and you get great Agreed. deals in January and February. Do you think I'm things right. will come? I mean, do you have a lot of sellers that are going to put stuff? They're just they're holding back. Yeah. They're yes. waiting until yes. April. Okay, Absolutely. Yes. Because that, that makes me feel good. I have three or four of them in, I have the, in the pipeline. Two, but yeah. I have two, but I still like. I have like but, central park facing or like park facing apartments in general. And it's just like you don't want to put them on the market before the trees start budding. Yes. Yeah. It's like redoing your floors. It really makes a difference. So when are you telling them to put it on the market? What month? Well, I have one or two listing presentations a week, which is a different side of it. I'm not telling them necessarily to wait. And just on a little side point before we answer your question, there was a small article in the Wall Street Journal last week that was a survey throughout the entire country as to when you put a home on the market and... correlating to when you get the highest price in the fastest time. And they said the first two weeks in May nationwide. Hmm. I don't know how that affects us. We always say April. But I just thought it was something interesting to throw out there from the Wall Street Journal. Look it up. I don't have it on my hands. But. All right, let's move on to the next. New Yorkers are nothing if not opinionated. And this week we asked uh, several city dwellers, uh, Brook Underground did actually, would you rather live in a fourth, ro- fourth floor walk-up or a ground floor apartment in a walk-up building? What do you think wins? I would say fourth floor walk-up all the way. Opinions. Fourth floor walk-up, but caveat, because it doesn't say in here, ground floor with a garden. Right. So if it doesn't have a garden, fourth floor. If it has a garden, ground floor. Good point, but I don't think it mentioned. I mention- have a yeah. weird thing about, like, I, I don't, even when I look go to a restaurant, I have to put it out of my mind that the kitchen is probably in the basement, which means that there's, like, rodents. So I have, like, a big rodent. Not if they have ickiness. a cat. So you're so you're saying fourth so floor. fourth floor all the way for me even if there's a garden unless it's Brooklyn but on Man- in Manhattan oh interesting yeah interesting unless it's yeah but interesting. in Manhattan I just for some reason I'm, I just have this icky factor Brooklyn's so, cleaner yes. than Manhattan I <laughs> know <laughs> I know yeah. everything's lower and smaller and quainter and for some reason psychologically I'm fine there, no, all so. the mice they have skinny jeans yes in Brooklyn. exactly See, that's what it is it's the skinny jean mice all right you know what one you know what one 
Fourth floor walk. Yeah, yeah. Yes. of course. Yeah. Keeps you young. And okay. a gym, you don't need a gym membership. <laughs> and you don't need a gym membership. Oh, you still that's do. for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. We, we almost talked about this once before. Brick Underground again says If money were no object, would you rather own a penthouse or a brownstone? Money, no object. Mm, penthouse. penthouse or a brownstone? Penthouse. I think it depends on where a person is in life. Because I would always say a brownstone, but I've been living (laughs) in a house with 19 steps to the front door for a number of years. And when you have to either hire someone to shovel those Mm -hmm. in the New York winters or do it yourself, and there's liability if there's a patch of ice and the mailman or a delivery person goes flying, (laughs) um, it's nice. But also, if you, have, if you have small children and if you have one vomiting upstairs, one vomiting downstairs, that's a lot of steps to run. <laughs> so I think a penthouse. <laughs> okay, well, so. Let's talk honesty here. Well, I agree. I, I mean, I just think that all the work that comes with the townhouse. Penthouse yeah. wins. Yeah. But if I were making the decision, again, money, no object, I would buy a townhouse that has an elevator. Me too. Oh. Nice. Smart, Vince. Anyway, on that note, we have to go. That's Good Morning New York for for this week. Thank you for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on my website, VinceRocco.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.